I always begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 4, and 5, and so I won't start any other way. Um, and so I'm just going to share with you my, my life verse. It says, My message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but yet in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. This morning, I want to kind of catch you up on what God's done this weekend. And so I was telling my wife, I said, you know, today's going to be somewhat of a recap for the students. And then at the end, God's going to take us a little bit further than uh, where, where we were this weekend. And, but I need to catch y'all up and let y'all kind of hear what God's been doing. And my wife said, well, someone will probably be asleep anyways. It's going to be okay. Um, so if I get real loud all of a sudden, y'all know it's because I'm making sure people are awake. Uh, I won't look over here. I'll just make sure I'm loud whenever I see that. Um, but it has been a journey uh, the last couple of days. It's really been a journey the last couple of weeks, preparing my heart to be able to share the Word of God to the people of God, um, really Friday, several times on Saturday, and even today. But we're going to start with, and I have to share this with you, I was pinning out, just writing down, letting the Lord wash over me what He wanted to, to speak to the body of believers here this morning. And I began to pin it all down, and I was telling Brother Fred on Tuesday, I was so proud of myself, because it was Tuesday before today, and I was like, Brother Fred, look, God's already given me a word, like, I'm ready to go, I'm so excited. I mean, and I was trying to be proactive, because I knew that this weekend I wouldn't have much time to, to dwell on where the Lord was taking me. And I was telling Brother Fred on Tuesday all about where the Lord was taking me, he goes, man, that sounds like a message I preached. And I said, really? He said, yeah, like two weeks ago. Believe it or not, I was not, I, we had so many different things that were going on in preparation for D-Now and all these things that I had to actually step out of service and I didn't get to hear his message. And so I went back on Tuesday and grabbed the message and I said, I got to go listen to this because, you know, I got to make sure that, that, that I'm not just giving y'all round two of the exact same thing. And so I went and listened to it and I'm like, this is like, I mean, verse by verse, same verses, same like everything that I was going to share. I'm like, man, Brother Fred's already unpacked this. And it was talking about the love of the Father two weeks ago in First John. Y'all remember that? Amen. I hope you remember it. Uh, I hope you're saying preach it again because I don't remember it. Um, but as I began to listen to it, I began to think, I said, okay, God, where are you taking me with this? What do you, where do you want us to go today? I said, you know, I don't, I don't think that, that we need to go the exact same path, but if you're telling me to, I'll do it. Whatever you want to do. And the Lord began to show me where we need it to go today. And it's not exactly the exact same message of two weeks ago, but if it does correlate quite a bit, I want you to know, I, it's all God, because I was not sitting in here when, when Brother Fred took you all on that journey in First John. But I want to start with something, and Brother Fred shared it two weeks ago, but we call it, in, in, in the Hebrew, we call it the Shema. Now this is a declaration that the nation of Israel would proclaim to God. And it's out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And here's the thing. Brother Fred talked about this. This is what Jesus is quoting in Matthew 22 when he says, What is the greatest commandment? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. So in Deuteronomy 6, I'm going to read this to you, but then we're going to proclaim it. But here's the thing. Let me just, let me just be real with you for just a second. I don't want you to proclaim this if this is not truly a proclamation of your heart. 
Because that's the same thing as coming in here and Brother Ed singing wonderful songs and leading you to the throne room of God to worship the living God and coming in here and not meaning those words and just singing it. It's void. It's empty. So I would rather you just sit quietly still if this is not the proclamation of your heart. But here's the beauty of it is that this message today, we're going to end with the Shema. And here's the beauty is, is that you might be saying now, hey, okay, let's do this. But at the end, God's really going to show us if it's really our heart. But the Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So what they would do is they would shout this out. And so this morning, if y'all can get enough energy, listen, I ain't slept in 48 hours. But if you can get enough energy, I want to, to proclaim this together. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to read a portion and then y'all recite it. And then I'm going to read a portion and y'all going to recite it. And, and um, why don't you turn my mic down just a little bit because I like to shout when, when I'm doing this. And so I'm probably going to shout and I don't want y'all to be overwhelmed because y'all, I get amplified uh, volume here. Um, but let's just follow. You got it on the screens right here. So just follow as, as we... Proclaim, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Amen. Now here's what I want you to think about for a second. What does the word all mean in that? Good job. I am impressed. Man, that was the best response I've ever had. (laughs) Love the Lord your God with all your heart. But I think sometimes we forget that word all and we begin to have a divided heart. I think that sometimes the evil one kind of slips in and begins to show us different avenues and we begin to divide our heart. But God's saying, hey, I want a heart that's undivided for me and me alone. Even in Exodus 20, in, in the Ten Commandments, Jesus says, or God says, that He is a jealous God. And so today I want to kind of just walk through this. But for us to be able to say, God, we love you with all of our heart, and with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, we must first count the cost. Because the cost is a lot. See, we say that salvation is free, and I believe that. Salvation is absolutely free, but it's going to cost you your life. If you have your scriptures, let's open up to Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and on. It says in Luke 14, verse 25, Now a large crowd was gathering along with him. And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sister, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and comes after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when you want to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he is enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is able to finish, all who observes it begins to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sits out, sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? 
Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his possessions. My question to you is this. Have you counted the cost of what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? In the book of Luke there, it tells us that we must count the cost and realize that we must give up all of our possessions. That's every bit of us. That's that's our mind, our soul. That's everything that, that, that encompasses us. We must be willing to give up. To love God with all your heart means that you're willing to sacrifice your life as a living offering to God. That's your whole life. If this right here was an altar before God, God's calling us, according to Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, after you've counted the cost that it costs you everything, He's called us to come and lay our life down on the altar. It says that we are a living sacrifice in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's read it. Therefore, I urge you, brother, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove that the will of, what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Flip back to me on verse 1 here. Therefore, I urge you, brother, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. It's your spiritual service of worship. I know we don't have to go into it because I know in our mind we know this, but really do we know it in our heart? But truly to worship God is to give Him your life. It's not to come in here and just sing songs. That's part of it. It's not just to come here on a Sunday morning. It's not just to show up on a Wednesday. God's asked you. He's called you. He said, hey, if you're going to sacrifice your life to me, it's every day, Monday through Sunday or Sunday through Saturday, whatever you want to say, every moment. When we were praying just a few minutes ago, the Lord put on my heart to say, hey, when you woke up this morning, you were worshiping. Who are you worshiping? You may have woke up this morning and you began to worship yourself by saying, I've got to make sure I look good this morning when I come to church. You know, what God wants us to do is just come and fall before His throne. Because He takes us as, as we are. There's a famous theologian out there, the, the kids will love it, uh, Lecrae, who says, if God takes me as I am, I already have my church clothes on. That's pretty profound. We ain't got to clean up to come before the throne of God. We just need to fall on our face before God because He is a holy and mighty King. Because here's the thing, that when we try to clean up our act and get before God, God's sitting there saying, you couldn't clean yourself up anyways. What, what, What are you trying to do? Only the blood of the Lamb can purify you. And so my question this morning is that we are a living sacrifice and God's called us to sacrifice our whole life to Him. So let's look in the book of Genesis of a time where God told somebody to sacrifice everything. In the book of Genesis chapter 22, we see, verse 2, the call of Abraham to take Isaac and sacrifice him. He says, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. 
I want you to just, if you feel comfortable underlining your Bible, underline the fact whom you loved. God's calling Abraham to sacrifice everything in his life that he loves. He's calling him to sacrifice his future because Isaac is the promise of his future. It's the fulfillment of the covenant of God. He's saying, hey, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And listen, you're going to have to trust me that I'm still going to fulfill the covenant. See, Abraham could have tried to do it on his own and said, okay, God, you gave me Isaac. Uh, I don't know about this. He could have said, I got this, God. But see, he understood that God wanted all of his heart, all of his soul, and all of his mind. He wanted every bit of it. And so he said, I want you to take the one whom you love, everything that you love, the greatest thing in your life, your son, your future, your seed, the generations of your nation. I want you to come, and I want you to take him, and I want you to sacrifice him. So it says in verse 2, he says, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Morah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Over, you can skip on over to, I believe it's verse 9. It says, Then they came to a place which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand to take his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do not do nothing to him. For I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from him. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold him, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. We know the rest of the story here, but here's the thing. One of the verses that we skipped in between verse 2 and verse 9 says that Abraham told his servants, the two guys with him, he said, y'all stay here, me and my son, we will go off and we will worship. Do you realize that the first reference of worship is right here in Scripture in Genesis 22? There's no band. Verse 5, stay here with a donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and we will return to you. There's no band there. Sorry, students. There's no band. Brother Ed Keys was not there. The choir wasn't there. They might have sung a song, a cappella, because it was just the lad and him. But what he did was he worshipped. You know how he worshipped? He laid everything on the altar. Everything. Can you say you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Then everything's got to be on the altar. Everything. All. It's very simple. What's the word of all? All. It means all. But here's what I love about this. I was sitting in my study one day and I was reading this story. And I was studying the fact of just Abraham and Isaac and the fact that he took his son and was called to, to sacrifice his son. I mean, knife going to kill him, right? And I said, Lord... I said, Lord, I'm so glad I don't live in that day and age. I said, God, because if you call me to go and sacrifice Samuel, my son, my only son at this point, that does not mean anything. (laughs) My wife will kill me. (laughs) But if God were to say, David, I want you to take your son Samuel and I want you to go 
to the highest point in Mobile, Alabama. And I want you to lay him on an altar. I want you to build an altar. And I want you to take a knife and I want you to kill him. You know, in today's day, I would be arrested very quickly. And I said, Lord, I'm so glad I didn't live in those days. I'm so glad you're not asking me to take my son and lay him on the altar like that. And he said, I'm, I'm telling you, in my study, the Lord spoke to me. He said, David, you don't get it. He said, David, I'm asking you every day to lay your son on the altar. He said, I'm asking you every day to lay your daughter on the altar. He said, I'm asking you every day to lay your family on the altar. He said, I'm asking you every day to lay your house on the altar. He said, I'm asking you every day to lay your transportation on the altar. He said, I'm asking you every day to lay your finances on the altar. He said, hey, David, I'm asking you every day to lay down all your material possessions on the altar. And oh, yes, if you missed it, I'm asking you to lay your life on the altar. I began to weep. Even now as I say it, just chills all over my body just sitting there saying, God was like, David, it's every day. I'm asking you to do the same thing I asked Abraham to do on a spiritual level. So let me ask you this question. Are you a living sacrifice? Are you a living sacrifice? The only way you can answer that is by saying that you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And that there is nothing on this earth that compares to loving Him with all your heart. The only way you can say you're a living sacrifice is if you truly have given all to God and counted the cost. If you're okay with His will being done and not your desire. God changes your desire for His desire for the kingdom of God. Seek ye first His kingdom. And his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. I told the students that does not mean prosperity. That means that God will bring about joy and peace in your heart. Knowing that you are are, are going forth for the kingdom of God. And seeking him and him alone. But here's the problem with being a living sacrifice. Because you're living. You can get off the, the, the altar. See, some of you are saying, David, I laid my heart down. But all of a sudden this morning, I'm thinking about the, what you're telling me. And man, I don't know if I'm on the altar. But I've been there before, but I don't know if I'm on the altar right now. Every day you have a choice. It says daily crucify yourself. It says daily pick up your cross. Every day you have a choice to stay on the altar or get off the altar. And let me just explain to you what happens here. Is that what you're laying on the altar, which means all is for the kingdom of God. It's all for Him. You love Him with all your heart. But when you start to creep off the altar, what's happening is that the evil one, Satan is saying, Hey, I've got some other gods that, that, that will, will give you pleasure and give you joy. And there's other altars all around this altar altar right here that I'm thinking that you should come and maybe lay yourself on that altar or go put this altar or that altar. I want you to come and sacrifice to this altar and you're going to find pleasure and happiness and you're going to find all these things. But let me tell you something. John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. And when you begin to get off the altar of God and you begin to listen to the lie of the evil one you're going to find nothing but destruction. Let me just give you a good example. So we get off the altar and we're like, man, like, okay, let's go. I see this over here and I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to go worship the altar of materialism. 
And we're excited about it. I'm going to go and worship the altar of immorality. I'm going to go worship the altar of pornography. And we get off and, and, and go towards that altar. And when we get off and go to that altar, what happens? We experience sin, which is short-term pleasure for long-term pain. It's short-term gain for long-term pain. And it takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, costs you more than you want to pay. You go, get off the altar with the understanding that everything's going to be great. But next thing you know, you, you come off and you, these, these chains have just been wrapped all around you. And you're like, what in the world? I thought that I was going to find pleasure. I thought I was going to find happiness. And then Satan just craftily slips these chains on us and you're sitting there and you're all bound up and you're saying God what's happened do you realize that in Genesis chapter 3 the fall of man is because Eve and and, and Adam believed the lie of the evil one more than believing the voice of truth this right here is on you because you've listened and believed a lie from Satan it says in scripture he is the father of all lies but here's the beauty of it all, is that you may have gotten off the altar, and you may have, have, have walked off the altar and gone to other places, but let me tell you something, God is a God of redemption, God's a chain breaker, and this morning He's saying, get back on the altar and let the chains fall off for the glory of God. But we've got to remove... The idols. I don't know about y'all, but this right here is a beautiful sound. That is a beautiful sound. See, the evil one lies to us and he says, hey, you're going to find happiness and just he slowly slips those chains on us. I don't think anybody sits here and says, I'm going to walk down this path in immorality and, and, and just give me some chains. Come on. It's like an alcoholic doesn't pick up his first alcohol and say, I'm going to become an alcoholic today. Here we go. Nobody goes and says, I, I just want chains. I want chains all over my ankles. I want chains on my arms. I just want to be chained. Nobody says that. Because if the evil one spoke truth to you, you wouldn't go down that path. But he's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. So let me ask you this question. Are you a living sacrifice? Are you giving all to God? Is is he truly have all your heart, soul, and mind? What are idols in your life that you have not laid down? Let Let me just remind you in the Old Testament about three real quick stories. You know... There were some idols, Baal and Asher and Mount Carmel. You know, I don't know if y'all remember what happened, but the fire of God falls down. And they got consumed by the sword. There was this uh, golden statue named Dagon that the, the Philistines worshipped. And they stole the Ark of the Covenant because of some carnal people who took the Ark when they weren't supposed to take it. And next thing you know, they, they take the ark and they want to worship Dagon by taking the ark of the covenant and putting it before Dagon. Do you know what happened to Dagon? Oh, he fell on his face. Hey, idols made of hands, they, they can't stand in the presence of a holy God. 
So they set him back up and said, well, maybe, just maybe, you know, there was like an earthquake or something, something happened, you know, it's just a coincidence. The next morning they wake up and he's on his face with his hands and his head and everything broken off. That's how big our God is. Oh, and Samson, you know, yeah, they thought they had won and they cut his hair and he lost all of his strength and they chained him up, poked his eyes out and told him to dance before in the temple of Dagon to say, hey, look, Dagon's given us victory over Satan. Oh, let me tell you what happened to those idol-worshipping pagans. Our God got the last laugh. And Samson said, today I want to remove the idols in my life and I want to seek you and you alone. Give me strength one more time, oh God. And he pulls with all of his might and the pillars fall down. And all those priests and people who came to celebrate a victory over Samson lost their own life that day. Guys, idols will lead you to a point of desperation. They'll lead you to destruction. They'll lead you to death. They will lead you to pain and hurt. My question is, why are we worshiping these idols? So let me go a little farther. When you love God with all your heart, as Brother Fred so beautifully spoke the other day, he said that if you love God with all your heart, it will lead to an overflow in your life of something. The overflow of your life is the fact that you begin to love people. It says in Matthew chapter 22, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And it says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That night, after not hearing what Brother Fred had spoken on that morning, the Lord told me to speak on the Samaritan. You may know it as the Good Samaritan, but I like to call it the Samaritan because there's none righteous, no, not one. It doesn't say in the Scripture the Good Samaritan. It just says the Samaritan. And in that story, the, the, the guy is asking Jesus, he says, who's my neighbor? Because see, at first he wanted to check the religious box in Luke chapter 10. He said, hey, let me know who my neighbor is. And he says, you know, and he shares with him who his neighbor is. And then he says, um, well, he, he asks him, what do I must do? And he says, love your neighbor. And then he says, who is my neighbor? Because he wants to make sure that he's loving his neighbor. What he had missed out is that his neighbor is every person that he comes in contact with. In verse 29 it says, But wishing to justify himself, he said, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus begins the story of the priest and the Levite. And then I love the word, it says, But a Samaritan. Do you know why God used but in that scripture? The reason he uses the word but in verse 33 is because he's comparing the Samaritan with the priest and the Levite. That word is a comparison word there. He's saying, hey, I want to compare the two. These two were too religious and too righteous just to just pass on by. They were following traditions of men. And they didn't have time to to, to give the cost or the time that they needed to help the, the, the guy in need. But the Samaritan, the comparison, the Samaritan loved his neighbor. And it was costly. It cost him money. It cost him time. It cost him his oils and wines to put on him. It was dirty. He had to bandage him up to put him on his own donkey or his own animal to take him to the inn. He gave money to pay for it. And you're sitting here saying, I don't know if I would stop if somebody was in need. If my neighbor's in need, I don't know if I'd stop. Let me ask you a question. What's not on the altar? Your time? Are you too busy? What's not on the altar? Your money? That you don't want to help somebody in need? What's not on the altar? Your, your, your possessions? 
See, if you're walking on the other side and you're leaving your neighbor in distress, then you have in that moment said something is not on the altar. If God's calling you to help your neighbor, which I believe he is because the scripture tells us. And you're sitting there, you're saying, well, well, I don't, you know, I just, you know. And we begin to make all these excuses and maybe there's a deeper root there that's not on the altar. God wants it all, every bit of it. You know, he's told me a long time ago he owns a cattle on a thousand hill and not to worry about finances. And I forget that so often. And I try to pick up the idea of finances and I try to make myself secure. But listen, that's a facade when I try to do it. Only God can bring about security in your life. And some of us have, have said, I'm going I'm to go to the altar of comfort, and I'm getting off the altar of God, and I just want to be comfortable. And if I go and help my neighbor, I would not be comfortable anymore. And you're saying, God's saying, hey, I didn't save you to live a comfortable life. I didn't say, okay, you're saved. Now go try to build the most comfortable life that you could ever have and stay there, and then wait until God returns or die in your sleep like most people want, and then come before the judge and say, look at what I did. No, God's saying that if you've laid your life on the altar, then you're trusting me as your Lord and Savior to lead God and direct you throughout life. He has a purpose and a plan. And that purpose and plan is to bring people to the knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. He has a reason for you to be alive. And that's to share the good news of Jesus. That's to take the gospel to the nations. That's to glorify and honor the King. And as Brother Fred said, and I even wrote this down in my message before I realized that he had already spoke this, when you love people, the love for people is an outflow of the love of God. The fact that you love God with all your heart will lead you to love people. But here's the beautiful thing, is that when you love people, they see the love of God in your life. Do you realize that when you love people because you love God with all your heart and you're not sacrificing yourself to any idols, you're sacrificing yourself as a living sacrifice to the king, when you love people, they're going to see Jesus in you. I shared a story, and I'll share it again simply because not all of you were there on Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know why they call it Super Bowl Sunday because every Sunday is a Super Bowl to me. But on that Sunday... Night, we were talking about the Good Samaritan. I shared a story about somebody I know who was driving down the road and they saw somebody on the side of the road that needed help. They pulled over and said, hey, how can I help? What's going on? And, and by the way, this person actually passed by and the Lord said, no, you go back and stop. You go back and help this person. And, and I made the comment very quickly, ladies, there's wisdom in not stopping sometimes. You seek the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit if you should stop. But the Holy Spirit put on this guy's heart to stop. And the lady said, hey, I'm out of gas. And so he, he left. He said, I gotta go find a gas station because I can't just feel gas up in my hand and pour it into the thing. And so he, so he runs to, to try to find different places. And, and the guy comes back to tell the lady that he couldn't find a gas tank, but he was going to go to Lowe's and get a gas tank for her. And when he gets there, he sees the lady being pushed by the police over to a gas station. And so he follows the lady and he gets to the gas station and he said, hey, I want you to know that I was not just trying to get away. I, wasn't, I didn't tell you something that I wasn't going to do. I've been looking for a tank. I can't find a tank. But listen, I see that the, that the police officer helped you and the guy said, listen, I believe that the Lord wants me to fill up your tank. This person financially didn't have the most money in the world and it was a big old SUV from what I hear. And gas was not $1.50 a gallon. I have no idea, but it was like 
probably three, when I heard the story, or it was three plus dollars a gallon. My truck holds 38 gallons. I don't know why they create stuff like that. And I believe this SUV probably held who knows how much. And so halfway through it, the person was saying, oh, I don't know, maybe I just, God, are you telling me only half a tank? And the Lord said, no, keep going. Finally, with a lot of pain and keeping his life on the altar, the whole car was filled up. Police officer scans the guy's tag because our tags tell us who you are. Police officer scans the guy's tag and begins to post and tell all of his friends that today he saw Jesus in this person's life. That person had no idea that this cop didn't know Jesus had no idea that the cop was watching him. But because of his love for his neighbor, the the story of the redemption of Christ was being portrayed through that person's life. You know, I tell you that we got to also lay our finances down on the altar. And that was really difficult for that person. Three days later, the person walked into their office and they saw an envelope with no name on it, just ten times the amount of money that was given that day. No name. All it said was, I want to be a blessing. And we're afraid of what? You know, I think that we forget that when we lay ourselves on the altar, that God's the almighty King of kings, Lord of lords, all-powerful. There's no authority that's not under the foot of Jesus. There's nothing bigger than Jesus. Greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. And so we, we begin to get that fear, and we decide, oh, well, let me just get off the altar, as if we can do something greater or better for ourselves. As if we can create some type of provision or protection on our own. We've totally missed the story of the scripture. When the love of the Father is through you and you are laying on the altar and you've given all to the King. Let me just take it one more step further. And students, I want you all to chime in now because listen, I am now to the point that we've set up where we've been and now wake up, students. But see, Jesus takes it even further in Matthew 6. He says, hey, if the love of the Father's in you, if you love God with all your heart, he takes us to an even further passage where he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, hey, it's not just, you've heard it say, to love your neighbor as yourself, but he goes even deeper than that. It says in Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 5, he said, You heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But he says, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Hey, I'm not trying to scare you. Your enemy is a neighbor. You say, but, but God, that's really hard. You know what I hear God saying whenever I say, God, that's really hard? He says, hey, David, let me remind you. You were an enemy of the cross. When you didn't know me as your Lord and Savior, you were enslaved to the evil one, as it says in Scripture. He said, but I loved you enough to go to the cross. I sent my son to the cross that you may have life. Hey, David, it's not that hard. Love your enemy by the power of God through your life. See, it says in Scripture that also that when you love God with all your heart, you're going to love people, you're going to be all on the altar, and you're going to love your enemy. Let me ask you this question. 
If your neighbors, your friends, your family, your co-workers were sitting here in this room and I were to bring you up, and I'll use my name just as an example, but if I were to bring you up here and I said, hey, to all your relatives, to all your friends, to all your co-workers, do you know that David Bullock loves you? What would they say? No, I didn't know that. Or yeah, I do. But now if I brought your enemies in this room and I said, hey, do you realize that David Bullock loves you? What would they say? What would they speak? I want to take you to a scripture. 1 John 3.8 says, and you don't have to, script, to, to turn there. We're going to turn to Acts 7 in just a second. But in 1 John 3, it says in verse uh, 18, it says that love, it says, Little children, let us not love just in word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. Deed means action. Are you loving your neighbor and your enemy with action? Are you, are you doing for them? By the power of Christ in you. You know what action Jesus took? He took it on the cross for you. That's how much He loved you. But I want to take you to to just an incredible story in Acts chapter 7. And we're going to be wrapping up here in just a minute. But in Acts chapter 7, I want you to see the story of a man named Stephen. It's a pretty powerful name after really studying this story and reading this story. I love, man, just so awesome. Now he is called into question about things about Moses and, 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 and he begins to, I don't understand why, but, well I do understand why, he begins to tell you, but he basically gives his rebuttal and his answer by basically going through the history of Israel. And he basically is telling these scribes and Pharisees and those that are coming after him, he's basically saying, hey, this is nothing new. You accuse me of all these things, but, but what Israel has done has turned their back from God so many times. But then he says in verse 54, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began shouting with witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen and he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling to his knees, he cried out, and I want you to see this, highlight it, underline it, put a star next to it. Maybe even better yet, put it on the heart and remember it, meditate upon it. He said, Lord, do not hold the sins against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. You talk about loving your enemy and praying for those who persecute you. They're literally throwing rocks at him to kill him. And ultimately kill him. I've heard it said that, that, that sometimes they're picking up rocks and bashing them. I don't know if it's that or if it's throwing rocks. I haven't done enough study to know exactly how people got stoned. But I'll tell you this, I guarantee you it's painful. And they began to stone Stephen. And in their stoning, he falls to his knees and he said, God, forgive them. He prays for the people who are ultimately killing them, killing him. 
Let me tell you why. Because he laid his life on the altar, all of it. And he was more concerned about their salvation than the breath that he breathed. He was more concerned about his enemies knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior and seeing them in heaven than the own breath that he breathed. Are you there? I heard a pastor say just the other day, how much do you really have to hate somebody? How much do you really have to hate somebody to know the gospel of Jesus Christ and never tell them? Love your enemy. Pray for those. The only way you can do that is if you're a living sacrifice laid on the altar of God, every bit of you. Your response to them is going to be determined on whether you're fully on the altar of God. Your response in every situation in life is going to be dependent on if you are fully on the altar of God or have you said, I'm going to go chain myself up with all these idols. Because if you're chained up, guess how you're going to respond? You're going to respond as a man in chains. But Jesus said that I have come to set the captives free. Jesus said that I have come that you may have freedom to sacrifice your life as a living offering to God so that people will see the glory of Jesus and Jesus alone through your life. God said, I have come that you may have mercy and grace to lay your life on the altar so that you can love your neighbor as yourself and by loving them they see the gospel of Jesus through your life. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Can you truly say that you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your might? Is that truly the proclamation of your heart? Or is it just something you say? Are you truly on the altar completely this morning? Are you truly a living sacrifice fully on the altar? Do you have an undivided heart on the altar for God? Or is your heart divided amongst so many idols right now? Because He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all in your life. And so my question to you this morning, and Ben, I'm going to ask you all to come up in this time of invitation. My question to you this morning is this. Is Jesus the Lord of all in your life? Is He your King? Is He everything? Are you on the altar? Are you fully on the altar? Or are you holding on to idols in your life? And so at this moment, what we're going to do is we're going to have a time of prayer. And I'm going to ask you in response that it's just between you and God. You and God alone. That's it. And you ask God right now, can you truly proclaim the Shema with all your heart?